Thanks for listening to the Toronto Legends Podcast, powered by the Henderson Brewing Company, a locally owned, award-winning neighborhood brewery that celebrates Toronto's stories and culture. I am your host, Andrew Applebaum. My guest today is Brad Nathan. Brad is the co-founder and president of Lynx Equity Limited, a company that primarily buys businesses from owners who would like to retire. With revenue in excess of $650 million spread over its subsidiaries in Canada, the United States, the United Kingdom, and Denmark, Lynx Equity was recently ranked number 478 of Canada's largest 500 companies. Brad had an interesting journey starting as an accountant and moving into private equity. He's probably the only accountant you know that also likes to step into the octagon for some mixed martial arts fighting. Welcome, Brad, to Toronto Legends. Thank you for joining me. Where are you and how are you? Thanks for having me. I am in uh, Toronto, my favorite city in the world. So I think that's great that you're doing a podcast on it. Absolutely. Mine too. Now, where'd you get back from? Did you have a good summer? Was this a pleasure trip or a business trip? A little bit of both. I always kind of try and combine them. I was in a, a Greece for my mother's 80th uh, wow. or, or second 40th, as she says. <laughs> yeah, nice. Uh, and then uh, Denmark for business, then London for business, then back to Greece. And so, do you find these trips uh, draining or invigorating? A little bit of both. But, uh, you know, I love what I do. And I think if you, uh, if you love what you do, you never work a day in your life. A good motto to have. Now, Brad, please dumb it down for me. What is private equity and what exactly does Lynx Equity do? So we buy businesses from people who are retiring and uh, we focus on the small to medium enterprise space. So businesses with revenue between 10 and 50 million. And we buy the 100% of the businesses. We jokingly say we're like Warren Buffett, but with three fewer zeros. <laughs> and the, when you buy these businesses, the owner traditionally sticks around or they retire and step aside completely? I mean, there's a plan for them to, to retire and step away completely. But that's the, that's, our, that's the key ingredient is to be able to, to find a, the right transition plan so that we can run the business like they did. And your office presumably is in Toronto. Are people working from home or from the office or is it a hybrid? Assuming people are working. My, my dad's joke is when you ask how many people work there, he always says half of them. They work mostly from Toronto, but we have an office in San Diego, Los Angeles, uh, London, and Denmark. And things are kind of post-COVID returning to normalcy in terms of people being in the office or has it changed dramatically? Yeah, it's, it's half and half. There's, there's office days, but it's certainly not like it was. Let's go all the way back and get the Brad Nathan backstory. Where were you born? Describe your upbringing, please. I was born in uh, Toronto, York Mills and Bayview area. Or excuse me, Avenue Road in Wilson, then moved to York Mills and Bayview. Good upbringing, great parents. My mother was a travel agent. I always said she was a travel agent for guilt trips. Yeah. <laughs> um, and my dad's a lawyer. And he retired from uh, a law firm called Minden Gross two years ago. And then about an hour later, joined uh, my company in-house. So right, he had a, he had a long retirement. Yeah, like we'll retire after we're dead. As I said, as I said, if you like what you do, you never work a day in your life. I think it might be three years now. So three years, actually. And do you have siblings, Brad? I do. I have an older sister and she works with me, too. Her name is Cindy Nathan. She was a lawyer, but she joined us as well. Excellent. Keeping it in the so family. It's a bit of a family business, for sure. It's been great. It's been really great. I've been definitely storied experience of running, starting my own business and losing all my money on my first deal and Living in my office and not having hot water certainly has quite a few stories about it, of running my own thing. Well, we're always into interesting stories. And let's go back to your very first business, 1977. What was your <laughs> very first business venture? <laughs> well, I, I, I delivered newspapers. I, I remember collecting the first time you, we, you go next door, you go and collect the, the money and you give it to the Toronto Star. 
and I collected it, but I didn't know I had to give it to the Toronto Star. And I had like 50, $51 <laughs> on the floor, and I was in grade five or something like that. And I remember looking up at my parents saying, I'm quitting school. And then they laughed and said, well, you got to give 50 of that 51 to the Toronto Star. <laughs> and, then, and, then I out, and then I outsourced the delivery to my dad and called it a day. <laughs> you, uh, you learned very quickly. And apparently quickly. after you outsourced it to your dad, how long did that arrangement last? about a two days he got yelled at for not delivering the day before and he said what am i doing this for you kid and that was it so i learned very early i think i want to do my own thing and then i and then i started drilling uh peepholes in people's doors but uh, le- like legally <laughs> i'm glad to hear it was legal <laughs> the front door is not like bathroom creepy doors i called it icu peepholes and i delivered i did that for a while and but technically i wasn't very skilled so the, as soon as i scratched mrs ross's front door that was the end of that and all this time you're presumably in school. Where'd you go to junior high? Where'd you go to high school? I went to Summit Heights for public school and then grade seven, which has been the hardest 40 years of my life, I always say, uh, <laughs> yeah. was, was St. Andrews. And then grade eight was Winfield till grade nine and then York Mills Collegiate. Go ahead. I was over at A.Y. Jackson. So we're uh, fierce <laughs> we're competitors. Alive. <laughs> <laughs> now take us from there, Brad. University time. Where'd you end up doing your uh, undergrad? So, I, you know, a bit of a sad story. I went to Western and then uh, I was pledging a fraternity and some friends of mine were as well. And they, they got uh, killed in a car accident when we were doing a, a pledge night. I just didn't feel like staying there for a lot longer after that and, and went back and went to York and regretted leaving Western. And then I went to school in France and then uh, did my MBA and my CA in Toronto. So the uh, the yeah. international MBA was at Shula, yes. which is at York. And how'd you end up doing schooling in France? It was part of the program. Yeah, I had a great grade seven. I had a really good French teacher. And I think that, or grade nine, excuse me. And it, it left me with a really good impact. And I think that's so important. So I, I ended up going to school in France in high school as well. Loved languages. It was just one teacher that made such a such an impact on me. It's amazing how it just takes one person yeah. to uh, trigger it for you. Now, after you got your international MBA, you needed more school to get your chartered accounting or CA designation. Yep. Where do you yeah. do that? Or I did it through Schulich as well. And then the Institute of Chartered Accounts. And I practiced for about two weeks. And uh, <laughs> it was a long two weeks. And then yeah. I was not made to be an accountant. And uh, I was never really, I was never really good in school. I had, you know, some learning disabilities and all the challenges and really laid out a lot of insecurities and stress. Uh, but it, it's been good for my career. A lot of ADD is really good for what I do for a living. But I, I really hated school, like through and through. Now, we're, we're going to talk a little more about that. But when you got out of school and started working, you apparently got fired from your first job after the first <laughs> yeah. hour. Yeah. No, well, that was that was while I was in high school. I worked at a at Bagel World, and he showed me how to measure my weighing cheese or fish or something like that. And I, I did it. The first time I did it, I didn't subtract the container, and he fired me. <laughs> there wasn't a lot of latitude for a training no. at Bagel World. <laughs> I, my parents dropped me off at Bagel World, and an hour later, I was home. It was pretty funny. <laughs> you, you almost beat them home. Yeah. I thank him. He made me do my own thing as well. I, I never did a good job working for someone else. Well, you had all these pressures driving you to do your own things. You've just finished all this schooling. You got your CA. It's a big, it's a big deal. But yeah. you leave. You actually had started with Price Waterhouse, Grant Thornton, but you left these big accounting firms. Why did you not follow your accounting dream of the path to partnership? And what did your parents say about this? Well, my parents were the ones who pushed me to do it. You know, like 
growing up Jewish ish, I would say Jewish, uh, you know, get a profession, you know, so they pushed me towards that. I wanted to be a professional goalie, um, but I wasn't good enough. Then I decided I wanted to be a professional baseball player, but I was not remotely close and good enough. And they said, you know, get it as a background, make sure you get it as a background. And I, I, I hated it. I, I hated auditing and all the stuff, but I was always loved. I always loved uh, entrepreneurs and being an entrepreneur and, and small business. And uh, I found a, a, a hole in the market when I, I was at Rothschild Canada in their venture capital arm. And I found a hole in the market that, you know, my boss at the time wanted to turn a million into a billion with some internet investment. And there was a whole gap, gaping hole of businesses that were available for sale that no one was interested in. People, the only thing people were interested in were internet and and the boom that was that that they were going through, and and these businesses had no successors, and you know there was a really a decent value on them, and you know I started a long time ago, like twenty years ago, for well twenty two years ago the first fund started called Succession Capital, and there was no one doing what we were doing. Now there's a lot more of that, but we had such a head start today that you know we have over we have fifty one businesses now that you know we have a real infrastructure and a real solid game plan that we've been able to develop over that period of time and raise, you know, $350 million. And, you know, the business is now doing $650 million in revenue and it's really well diversified. And we have 300 investors and, you know, there's no volatility in what we do in terms of how we pay them. We pay a fixed yield. So you don't have to worry about how the stock market goes up and down. And I think there's quite a number of appreciative investors that we've been able to provide this product for them. This is not a sales pitch, by the way. Yeah, absolutely. Let's bring everyone up to speed. Lynx Equity, you founded with Joanna Lipfield in 2007 with the hopes of providing liquidity for small businesses and an investment opportunity for individuals. You specialize in the purchase and operation of old economy businesses with long proven track records, consistent cash flows. In short, basically, you're giving owners a chance to exit and retire. Is that how you'd say it? That's exactly it. And I founded it with two with, with Joanna Lipfield, Judith Benatar and Marvin Pludwinski. There were, there were kind of four of us. We're still all here and we have a fantastic relationship and we've provided liquidity for over 60 different companies. We, we have 51 now because we've merged a, a few of them in together. Now, Brad, your portfolio is kind of meat and potatoes type companies, flooring, signage, trucking, wholesalers, manufacturing. Are any of your holdings consumer facing and recognizable to the average Joe or Jane? The only one I recognize as a brand was the Top Cuts hairstyling chain. Yeah, we well, I don't really get much use of it. But, you uh, and I, you and I. <laughs> too bad this is just a podcast and they don't get to see our beautiful <laughs> that, that's hair, right. Our head. The other one that would be recognizable in Canada is uh, Of Things Past. It's a consignment furniture business that everyone seems to love. Portland, Oregon, we have a business called Kitchen Caboodle, which is like uh, Kitchen Stuff Plus. But that would be all for the Toronto market. There's a lot of people looking to buy businesses in Toronto and, you know, our little kind of secret, which I'm happy to tell everyone, it's it's, it's a little bit easier if you go to the, the outskirts, if you go to the smaller towns or, you know, we have, we have a business that, uh, that Ashley Manis, who runs our Scandinavian portfolio, is working on right now. It's a, it's a plant grower for uh, perennials and, the, you know, they, they're a two hours away from Copenhagen in the middle of nowhere in a, in a, and they grow plants. And, and there's not a lot of people looking for that one. Everyone 
comes to me and asks me if I ever see a business, you know, in Toronto with a good owner and good financing and good purchase price to let them know. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to let you know about that one. I'm going to do it. <laughs> yeah. Right? That's the one you're keeping. Yeah. You don't see that. I, I also don't really like to drive very far. I like to stay in my little hood. I have a terrible, terrible sense of direction. Last week or two weeks ago when we were in Denmark, I made a wrong turn. I zoned out and my ADD came in. I zoned out. I made a wrong turn and ended up in Sweden. So I uh, <laughs> I think I can top anyone's bad sense of direction. Some people end up on the wrong side of town. You ended up in another country. Yeah. <laughs> but but having said all that, the, the real wins are in finding these businesses. And you, you can't really go where the herd goes. One thing I'm curious about, Brad, is when you do provide this liquidity event, which essentially means the owner has cashed out and can now retire. How do you provide the hands-on management to keep that business running in the absence of the owner? Well, this is, that is the million-dollar question, Andrew, really. I mean, at, at the end of the day, everyone can multiply by four or five and, you know, or six if you have to. It's all about keeping that culture. You know, we, we, only, we really look to buy a stable, good businesses from good people. The most important thing is that the guy or lady who's running it are decent people because if you have a jerk at the top, you have a, a jerk at the bottom. And conversely, if you have a good guy at the top, hopefully you have good people at the bottom. And it, it's we, we really f push our motto of not changing things. You know, there are businesses that we've acquired that we haven't released any information on where no one even knows that we've done the acquisition and it stayed exactly the same. So Cindy, uh, Nathan, my sister, who heads up our kind of senior HR group along with uh, Michelle Thomas. And, you know, we really look to find people who are going to work with us through a good transition plan and will help us find that person. It, it, it's so it's so key to make sure that that transition is smooth. People ask me, is it good to have a second in command who becomes president? Is it good to have a president who stays? Is it good to have a new person come in? And I've seen good and bad in all circumstances. But if I had to say the best would be a, a long transition plan with the owner to someone who's already there and who he could pan the reins over to. Well, as you say, if someone doesn't notice that there's been an ownership change, that's the best scenario of all. Yep. Now, you do not invest in startups or turnaround companies. Why not? Uh, you know, the more I learned about business, the more I realized I didn't know. And the, the more I became more into a niche and specific, I realized that what really works is when you stick to your knitting. And we're not experts in that. We're, we're really, we're transition experts and valuation experts uh, and conglomerate experts, but we're not fresh, you know, new startup companies. We're not really good with turnarounds. It's not our, it's not our market. And the more, as I'm saying, the more you learn, the more you realize that's not what you do. Like when I was a kid, I said, I want to go into business. I want to, you know, go into private equity. And then I want to go into a specific part of private equity, you know, retirement, succession planning. And then I want to go into just 100% acquisitions. And, and then I want to go into a certain size of an acquisitions. And, and you just became really, really, really like narrowed down to the point where we are now. Yeah, you really drilled down. I think that something that's interesting is I like hearing these stories about business, but the reason we wanted you on Toronto Legends is you're more than just business. You're an interesting guy. Let's talk fighting. Let's talk about your mixed martial arts and boxing career. My deep research says that you're undefeated at five <laughs> and oh. It's not how you fight. It's who you fight. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I picked people from my office that if they beat me. <laughs> They're gone. I did that once. We did fight, I did fight a guy from my office and he broke my nose. Uh, <laughs> And 
their second round. That's why if you hear I'm a little sinus up, it's from uh, it's from years of abuse. Yeah, I started out with I went to a boxing match with my trainer uh, Vlad from uh, Ultimate Athletics, which is a great gym here. We met at sports clubs, and his name is Vlad Radonovich. We went to this uh, charity boxing match, and I said I could do that. And I, and I always kind of wondered what what guys were thinking the night before a fight, how they felt, what happened to their brain, not from being bashed around, but like what was going on in their mind the night before they would fight. And I, and I want to experience that and what it's like to be, you know, called into the dressing room to get wrapped up and put on your gloves. And, and I, I wanted to experience that. So I, I did a boxing match and raised money for uh, Toronto Wildlife Center that I was on the board of. I'm, I'm a big fan of that organization, obviously helping injured wild animals across Toronto. And, and you enjoyed the training aspect? The training was the best part. It just became super fit. And, and I realized how I had just run a half marathon. I thought I was in good shape. And then at 30 seconds after boxing, I thought I was having a heart attack. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and then that became, I did, a, I did my fight. I won. And I remember saying, I wonder what those MMA guys are thinking the night before a fight. Yeah. And then next thing I know, I was doing MMA and, and uh, I had a, I had a, fantastic trainer he was the highest ranked jiu-jitsu practitioner in canada from brazil uh who unfortunately passed away two years ago his name was caesar rezik and he was, became my best friend and we trained together for years and and then i did four fights uh, under his kind of tutelage and and then during covid he had a unfortunate heart attack very suddenly and died and in, uh, in brazil so i'm going to go visit his family next month and then i that that lost some of the luster for me that and and uh you know, after five fights and countless broken bones, I, I think I had enough. And Caesar ended up coming to join Lynx and working with me, so it was great. Well, there's something to be said for retiring undefeated. Yeah, I, I, I took up piano after that. I, I, I'm the same as uh, as uh, um, Mayweather. We both retired undefeated, but I took up piano after. Hey, you were you were very wise. <laughs> Get out when the getting's good. Now, do you yeah. still? use the training though uh, are you still a very athletic guy fitness oriented guy yeah I, I train six days a week weights and cardio one i think it's super good for the brain and it's good for mind for sure two it's good for your body and three you get old you don't stop playing because you get old you get old because you stop playing so i, I think i want to keep that for the rest of my life very true you got to keep moving hey toronto when you drink beer you want to drink quality local beer and when you listen to podcasts, you want to listen to quality local podcasts. That's why Toronto Legends has partnered with the Henderson Brewing Company, a locally owned, award-winning neighborhood brewery that celebrates Toronto's stories and culture, just like this podcast. You can try this month's limited edition beer, The Market, inspired by Kensington Market, at their taproom and retail store at 128A Sterling Road along the West Toronto Rail Path. Or order now at hendersonbrewing.com. Now let's move on to a more serious topic. If you're comfortable sharing, let's talk about ADD, Attention Deficit Disorder. What exactly is it and how has it affected your life? Well, you know, that's a good question. I, I, I really didn't know when I was in, uh, I'm losing focus, that's odd. Um, when I was in uh, grade six or grade seven, it was when you started kind of really feeling school more than when you were in grade three. And I just, everything was challenging to me. I, I, it took me longer to do things. And, and then, you know, the doctor said, oh, you have some kind of spatial orientation problem because I couldn't write my name well. And I wasn't good in, believe it or not, music or arts. And I was told 
you know, why don't you just drop those and focus on some extra care and, and ADD, you know, I'm 54. So ADD was not really a big diagnosis at all back then. And then, you know, I went through school and I remember reading like a textbook for my undergrad or even graduate work or postgraduate, excuse me. And I would read, you know, 10 pages in an hour and, and I would look at the end of the hour and I would look down at the book. And if you asked me what subject I was reading about, I might be able to get it. Like the words went in, but nothing, nothing stayed. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had no focus. And, you know, fast forward to a bunch of years later, I went to a psychiatrist and just about life. And, you know, the first thing after the, like the first session, he said, have you ever been tested for ADD? And, and he tested me and he said, you're off the charts. And I think I kind of put it all together then that really big reason why I wasn't able to be uh, like a good student. I, I did well, but, but it, it, I worked five times as hard as everybody else. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was, it was really like, I remember counting down to how many more exams I had for the rest of my life. And uh, the second, I still have nightmares about that. I didn't finish my degree. Mm-hmm. And anyway, long story short, it's just, you know, it's my ability to, to focus on something was, is really hard. And, and especially if I'm not interested in it. So, you know, I was studying auditing and I couldn't give two craps about it. And, mm-hmm. you know, try and focus on that was next to impossible. So, but it's been really helpful for what I do because I, I'm, you know, we have a lot of different businesses and there's a lot of balls in the air and I just have to give little bits of attention to lots of different things. And I found my calling for that. Well, isn't that interesting that something that was so difficult in your schooling has actually been, if you want to use the word positive for your career. Yeah, that's a good way to say it. And, and, you know, that was a good thing about fighting and a good thing about piano is if you, if you stop paying attention for, it's a little bit more painful in fighting, but if you stop paying attention for two seconds, you're going to get, you know, clipped in the head. In piano, if I stop paying attention for two seconds, the song's over. You know, I have really, really high regard for professional athletes and professional musicians. It's just incredible. Well, listen, I don't know if this is too personal, and you certainly can take a pass, but do you mind commenting on how you treat ADD in your case? And is it something you expect to be dealing with for life, or is it something that can be resolved, so to speak? Well, you know, I was offered the chance to do med, to take meds for it. And I realized at this point, I, I, I should have done it. If I was doing it at school, it would have been great. But I didn't really have that option then because I wasn't really diagnosed until after. And, you know, I certainly want to do the snorting Adderall or Coke route where you're, <laughs> it gives you a focus, but with all the negative side effects. And, you know, so I've, just, I've embraced it quite a bit now for my career, but I would have definitely being highly uh, medicated in high school for that or, or uh, university. And I probably would have done a lot better. Uh, you know, I couldn't pay attention to a word I was reading. You know, and, and it's fitness really helps for that, I think. And the piano really helps for that. It teaches me a little bit of a focus. But mm-hmm. like I have to watch a TV show with, with subtitles because I'll zone out otherwise and then I'll just mm-hmm. miss the episode. I don't, think, I don't think today's phones have helped a lot either, right? Like it yeah. gives you, you know, full-time distraction capabilities. So I probably would have suffered through that through high school. I don't know how kids do it today. Well, and it sounds like, Brad, you've come up with a number of, let's call them tactics to uh, make things easier for yourself. You're right, Andrew. Let's talk about something totally different. Your apparent lack of skill in a kitchen. You eat out 365 (laughs) nights a year. Is this accurate information? It is. I mean, it used to be, uh, I used to say my oven is for storage. I I keep my phone book in there, but there's no such thing as phone books anymore. (laughs) Yeah, that's uh, true. I don't know if my oven even works. Uh, is this takeout and delivery or is this dining out? 
COVID was delivery, which was fantastic, but uh, it's dying out. And Brad, since you are so much on the Toronto food scene, I'd like to hear some either neighborhood or hidden gems. Okay, well, my my favorite little hidden gem is Fiermosca on uh, on Prince Arthur. It's it's a uh, it's great Italian, nice lady who owns it, great staff. They'll make you whatever you want. Great patios upstairs and downstairs, and just other than I'm probably the youngest guy there by sixty years. It's, <laughs> it's, uh, it, you know, there's the odd there's the odd little uh, person we, who's my age who goes in there, but I always go with my friends, and they, they treat you like royalty there. I love. It's a terrible. Well, I shouldn't say that. I shouldn't say it, but it's not the best name of a restaurant, but it's called Why Not Italian on okay. Harvard, and, and uh, the owner, um, uh, Peter, is just a fantastic guy. Why Not Italian is Y-N-O-T, and his father's name is Tony, so it's Tony backwards. Great okay. spot on Harvard. Pantheon on Danforth. Well, Mamakis is hardly a hidden gem because you can barely get a reservation there. It is great. I love... Which one on Ossington? Salt. And I love uh, Karen's because they have a keyboard and, and uh, Bar Centrale under Taroni. I love for breakfast and, and some good wine. Excellent list. I want to know if you are going to be attacking this newly minted list of Michelin-rated restaurants in Toronto. You know, I was away when they announced it, and uh, I, I have to start going through it shortly and just getting my checklists. It's, it's, I just can't believe it's taken that long for Toronto. What, like the third biggest city? Uh, no, fourth biggest city in North America. Mexico City, New York, L.A., Toronto, Chicago. How it took that long to get here. Especially with the amount of immigration that we've had here, the incredible food. Like, how has that not happened? Well, we're going to have a, a big rush to all these places now. But if you're eating out this often, whether you're eating out or having it brought in, how are you not uh, piling on the weight? <laughs> it goes back to the working out. And <laughs> I, still, I, I do eat healthy when I go there. I it just, I know it's not as easy because the amount of butter and salt they use, but I got high blood pressure. I blame it, I blame it on my stress, but I, I really focus on eating healthy when I'm there. There's another good spot I forgot Bindia on, on uh, Market Street down by St. Lawrence Market. That's fantastic. And, and if you ask them to make it a little bit healthier, sometimes they listen. Now, Brad, you are also an avid nature enthusiast. You, as you mentioned before, served on the board of directors of the Toronto Wildlife Centre. What is your connection to nature and why this great love for, uh, for outdoors and for animals? Well, I, I heard a long time ago that if uh, all the insects uh, disappeared, the world would end. And if all humans disappeared, the world would flourish. You know, it was evidenced by that in, uh, during COVID. You know, I remember seeing the coyote walk down my street. Mm. And uh, the air was cleaner and life just kind of felt a little bit better. And I think since I was a kid, my parents are, love animals. And I remember going snorkeling with my parents when I was a young kid and seeing all the fish. And it's sad when I went scuba diving a little while ago and, and the, the reefs are destroyed. And, and so, I, you know, without putting a negative twist onto it, I grew up with dogs and just lost an 18-year-old dog named Timber with an exclamation mark. And I, I don't know, I just have a love for animals in all forms. And one day I, I saved a little mouse in my, found a little mouse in my basement and I drove it out to the Toronto Wildlife Center and the service they gave was just incredible and brought a bird there once and fell in love with their center and what they do. And I, I just think it's a, I think I like animals more than most people. Well, a, a lot of people got into their pets, certainly during COVID. Yeah. The relationship grew so strong between people and their pets. Yeah, well, they, the animals don't break your heart until they die. Yeah, true, true. <laughs> don't disappoint until they die, I guess. Well, I don't know if that's the right word, but he died recently that ran into the street and uh, just was such a brutal experience. So it, it, it 
got one after Timber died, and, and it's like I have post-traumatic stress disorder. Getting a new one now, and, and it just I, I think life is better with, with dogs and animals. Are you still involved with the Toronto Wildlife Centre, or where do you put your uh, time and attention now? I'm involved uh, on the side, but most of my attention um, is just we have a very good uh, charitable side of, of our business that's run by Laura Ricketts, and uh, we donate to a number of different causes in Toronto. And I have a new cause that I've really liked is, you know, providing musical instruments to underprivileged schools or camps or whatever it might be. And uh, I mean, I guess I could have done fighting somehow there, but it probably made more sense to, to give away an instrument than to give away, <laughs> yeah. give away some, maybe boxing gloves would be good. <laughs> but anything athletic, anything that we could do for that is, is good. We love that kind of stuff. As a Toronto guy, Brad, over your whole career, any interesting celebrity interactions? Do you have any stories of running into anyone? You know, <laughs> I was a huge Dodger fan growing up, and I was working in France at the time, and Toronto Blue Jays were playing uh, at the Dodgers, and it was in a preseason game, and I flew home from France early to go see this game. I was there with my parents, and I was much younger at the time. They said if we were on the third base side, and they looked over at first base, and Tommy Lasorda, the, the former manager of the Dodgers, who was quite a celebrity, was signing autographs outside the dugout. And my sister had bought me a 1955 Dodgers jacket replica. I went over to get his. My parents were like, go get his autograph. And I'm you know, terrified. I think I was 21. I was like a, it was like I was seven at the time. <laughs> yeah. I was behaving. And I went over to, uh, am I allowed to swear, by the way, on this? Yeah, I, I stay away from it, but go ahead. You can clean well, it up. I'll, I'll, I'll keep it uh, as clean as I can because it's yeah. part of the story. And I went over to uh, to the dugout and went down, and there he was signing autographs, and it became my turn. And I said, Mr. Losorda, I've been a whole fan, my, a huge fan of my whole life. Can you sign my jacket? And he looks at it, and he says, Jesus Christ, kid, get the F out of here. So I, I don't know what to say. I don't know That's what to horrible. say. I was like in shock, right? And I said, I saw, all I could say was, no, my pen works. And he <laughs> takes the pen and he, scratch, he writes like a T on my jacket. And he says, now get the F out of here. Wow. Years later, I, I took, I had a shrine to the guy. Like I took down everything about him. I like, it, it was heartbreaking. Don't ever meet your heroes. Years later, I went to Dodger camp with my dad for like fantasy baseball. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. And there's Tommy Lasorda sitting there uh -oh. at the table next to me. Uh oh! No one was sitting with him, and I and I, I said they said don't you want to go over and meet him? And my dad's like, you know, Brad doesn't want to meet him. And I told <laughs> oh, him the story. I told him the story, and, and they said, well, that was the year he didn't make the team. The 1955 Dodgers was the the year they won, but he didn't he he wasn't he didn't make the team. So I didn't. I guess that's why he didn't like signing my 1955 Dodgers jacket. It all kind of came too, but I still didn't talk to him again. And then fast forward, I I saw I saw. A, Daryl Sittler at a charity event for Mount Sinai, and I was too afraid to say, I was too afraid to introduce myself. <laughs> Tommy Lasorda yeah. scarred you. I think yeah. that's a horrible story, and you just yeah. mentioned it exactly. Sometimes you just don't want to meet the people that you look up to because it just ruins it. And, yeah. and I'll contrast that with the other person you just mentioned. I went up to Daryl Sittler at a dinner a few years ago, and everyone's waiting in line to chat with him. And I said, uh, Mr. Sittler, I have such fond memories of being with my father, watching that amazing game where you got 10 points. Has he heard that 1 million, 2 million, 3 million times? And yet he looked at me like it was the first time he had heard it. And he thoughtfully said, what a great time with your dad. Those are the special moments when you remember being with your father. Oh, my God. And just to contrast that, what an amazing man Daryl Sittler 
still is today. Yeah. But uh, Tom of the Sorta, you got to be thinking more when you're dealing with the <laughs> young people. He's known to be a bit of a jerk, apparently. Cantankerous is the word yeah. we'll use. My, my well, business partner Marvin's hero or favorite musician is uh, Neil Young. And, and we, we when we bought a business in, in uh, London, England, the seller, Andrew Riggs, one of the sellers, is a huge music fan. And I think it's one of the reasons we got the deal because I asked him if he'd ever heard of the Beatles jokingly. And then he said, uh, you know, we laughed. And then he talked about Neil Young. And, and uh, I said, you got to meet Marvin and et cetera, et cetera. And Marvin had a chance to meet Neil Young and he turned it down because he's just heard that he's such a jerk that, wow, you know, he was afraid of him. Sorry to cut up a Canadian, but he was afraid to meet him. Hey, who knows? Maybe you're better off. Keep, yeah. keep the, the vision as we have it. Brad, as we wrap up today, I want to know what Lynx Equity is up to next and what is next for you, Brad Nathan. Well, Lynx, we're, we're, uh, we just got a, a large funding round for $100 million and we're going out to uh, spend it, for lack of better words, and that should be able to take us to about a billion dollars in revenue. So that's a real target for me and it's, it would be a huge uh, accomplishment. Um, maybe I'll lose some of the insecurity then. And then uh, we're continuing to expand in the countries that we're in. Uh, we are trying to get into other areas of the UK, like like uh, Ireland and Scotland, and other areas of Scandinavia. And uh, we're continuing to focus on consolidating the sign industry and the floor industry. We've done a couple grocery stores, three grocery stores, and we're continuing to expand on that. So it's just you know we found a really good model, and a you know it's it's kind of rinse and repeat going back to the hair, uh, <laughs> yeah, from when <laughs> from, we were from kids. prior <laughs> days. And for me, I'm absolutely loving the piano. My, my piano teacher is a guy named Mark Alexander, who teaches in Toronto. Uh, we do it primarily by Zoom, but he's become a good friend, and I'm really focused on learning that and uh, and con- continuing to support Toronto charities and, and uh, Toronto restaurants. I went to AY Jackson with Mark Alexander, so uh, shout out to the, to the teacher. I'm That's sure great. it's the same. He's fantastic. And where can we best follow you if you're on social media, and where can we follow Lynx Equity? Links Equity on Instagram, excuse me, on, on uh, LinkedIn. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn as well. That's probably the, that's where I'm probably most prolific for lack of better words. Well, I appreciate your time. I wish you continued success. Thank you very and much. To the listener, we say thank you for listening to this episode of the Toronto Legends Podcast, powered by Henderson Brewing Company. And on behalf of Brad Nathan, I am Andrew Applebaum saying mahalo. Jeff Woods and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people, he, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast, heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from jeffwoodsradio.com. Hi, I'm Steve Yurko. And I'm Tara Sands. Now available from Maji Media is our new podcast, Four Kids Flashback. Four Kids is the company who brought you the English dub of Pokemon in the late 90s and so many other shows like Yu-Gi-Oh!, Shaman King, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kirby, the infamous One Piece dub, and so many more. 
We'll be talking to the people who worked at 4Kids. Actors, directors, writers, editors, producers, engineers, you get the point. And hopefully get the answers to questions both you and I have about the company. I actually worked there as a voice actor on some of the shows. And I was a kid watching the shows and remember way more than Tara does. And thank God for that. Steve is actually a professional storyboard artist, which gives some really unique insights into anime and animation. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. That's the number four kids flashback.